the whistle blows and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars. Here we go, Vegas Hockey LNA, 1400 KSHP, talking pucks with you. We love doing this. Brian Blessing, glad to be with you. AM 1400 KSHP. All right, a lot of cool things going on. Um, lunchtime, John Smith subs. Fries are great. The food's great. 9701 West Flamingo. After 6 p.m., all the six-inch subs are five bucks. Fantasy football players are going nuts. The next couple of weeks, fantasy football drafts Oasis, forty-nine fifty-five South Decatur. Banquet room is money. Our friends at Uzu CBD Plus, you got joint pain managed at the all-natural way. Y u z u CBD Plus dot com. Uzu CBD Plus dot com. Stuff works. All right, guys, helping me not be in pain today. Dave Shane from the RJ. And that, that was a segue. I don't know if it was a professional segue. It was a segue nonetheless. David from the RJ, it's always great to have him on talking hockey. We had Pat Micheletti on yesterday. David, thank you for doing this, my friend. Yesterday, Pat Micheletti was on, and we were, you know, this time of year, we were just sharing old-time memories and, you know, a lot of stuff, Pat's playing days and just things that popped in our head. I, I'm curious, my friend, what was the first... Yeah taste of hockey for you like when you were a kid when did you get bit by the bug of hockey um so i don't remember exactly i have like kind of vague memories of the miracle on manchester okay which was when the kings upset the oilers in the playoffs yeah um and i definitely remember being in the street and shooting into a milk crate and doing the pumpernickel like Bernie Nichols. <laughs> Wait, it was was one of those games like seven six. Oh, I have no doubt considering it was the yeah. Game. I remember that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. Just you know, early King stuff probably. Um, I love the, you know, by the way, the old, I love the, old the pajamas division stuff. I love the yellow. I love the, the, I love the yellow and I love the pearl. I love those purple pajamas. I mean, uh, so yeah, the awesome. purple, I, I, I really, well, wait, you got to call form blue or like Jack King cook's going to come out of the grave and come get us or whatever. Um, can't call it purple, but it was, but that is <laughs> but not that was, royal that was blue. The thing. What color so is it? Forum blue. You had to call it forum blue. Forum like blue. Forum, okay. Like, like the, you know, like the arena, the forum. Yep. So they, he didn't want purple, so he had to call it forum I, blue. I, but like when the Kings, when they did those reverse retros or whatever this year, and they kind of had the purple, it was like, yeah, all right, you know, I'm I'm definitely with that. I mean, yeah, that's 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 those are my old first. Memories, you know, like the Kings playing in Winnipeg and seeing the the picture of the Queen, you know, back there and all that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> well, in the old the Forum, by the way, usually was like half full. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty hit or miss. Like, you know, eighty one, eighty two, they had the Triple Crown line and they were okay. 
But it really never, yeah, it really never took off until Gretzky. I've told I've told this story before. What the hell? Um, it's covering the Bills. So the Bills are playing. I believe I, I think they were playing, going to play the Raiders, and so we you know we're out there early, and there was a hockey game. It's at the Forum. So a buddy of mine, we we called back a guy who knew a guy, kind of thing, and they were playing the Winnipeg Jets. So. We both put fifty bucks on the Jets, <laughs> right? Okay, so 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 we're sitting there, and there's nobody there. So we slithered down. I was great at this when I was a kid at stadiums, slithering down and getting a good seat. So I slithered down, my buddy and I. So we're sitting like the top row, right above the glass on the blue line. The, the, the building's like you know half empty, and it's a decent game or whatever. And we're sitting there minding our own business and. And it goes to overtime. And I'm sitting right above the blue line, right over above the glass. And the puck comes around the dasher, and I look below my feet, and it's Howard Chuck. He's literally like 10 feet below me. And I look yeah. up, and Tomas Steen takes off on the far wing. And we just sat there the whole game, didn't do anything. I jump up. I jump up, like, at the top of the glass and go, hit him! <laughs> and he fires a cross ice tape the tape pass to Steen. He goes in and buries it, right? Wins the game. We win the bet. We're, like, high-fiving each other. And the people sitting next to us are like, oh, when did the people from Winnipeg get here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I always love the, you know, like, let's remember some guys and just you know, like the old names and things like that. Um, you know, like I was, I was like a big hockey card collector and things. So it was always, you know, kind of fun to like go through the box and, oh yeah, I remember this guy or I, I remember I wanted to punch him, you know, <laughs> or something like that. You know, just all the old, old guys. It's always fun. Like, I mean, I'm from, I'm from that generation, you know, I grew up with like eighties hockey, you know, that, that's kind of my age. Um, that was sort of my indoctrination. To I remember. It. I remember when I was, so. a, and this is when I remember as a kid. Uh, I had a dream, and it, it was a good. It was a good old. It was a good Panasonic dream. I beat the hell out of Dave Schultz in the dream. <laughs> that definitely would have been a dream. Oh right? it was, no, it was a dream. <laughs> it was not reality. I don't think that would have happened in reality. I've actually met Dave Schultz. He's a scary guy. Oh yeah, he is. There ain't no doubt about it. Uh, I have things. Well, since we're since we're just rambling and yeah, today's a ramble stories, day. Like, well, I, I was uh, for some reason Charlie Huddy. Remember Charlie Huddy? Twenty-two with the Oilers. Yeah, I don't know why, but when I was a kid, Charlie Huddy was always the guy that was like, when I get to the NHL, he's the guy I'm going to punch in the face. I had, I, had no, I had no reason to hate Charlie Huddy, but for some reason, I think he was just my punching bag as a kid. I don't Didn't know. Charlie, it's, it, 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 was, it wasn't the Butch Goring Joe for helmet, but it was close. He, he, had, he had like a, a goofy little... Like round helmet on, yeah, you know, with, with the with, with the air holes in it, yeah, yeah, that turtle shell looking thing. Well, funny thing was, if I remember right, later in the eighties, like you know, post Gretzky, he actually went to the Kings, so it was kind of like, oh, I guess I gotta kind of root for this guy a little bit, but yeah, I don't, you know, it was just always weird, like how some guys you like 
some guys you didn't. I was a huge, so my guy was Theron Flurry because I was a little pipsqueak who caused a lot of problems on the ice, and Theron Flurry came along, and I thought he was, like, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. So it was always fun kind of being a Kings fan, and, you know, I remember once or twice going to a, a Kings Flames game and, you know, hearing everybody doing the flurry sucks chant and all this stuff. And I, I always just thought it was funny and fun to, like, you know, be a guy that you're so good that the entire arena can basically hate you. You there, know, there out was of, a there, out of respect basically. There was a Theo Flurry before Theo Flurry. He he was good. Uh, yeah, you know he was pretty good. I'm looking at the numbers, but he, he was with the Flames too. That probably just be, was before your time. Bobby Lalonde. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I don't he, really remember him. He, much, he no. was five five. He, he was okay. he was uh-huh. Theo Flurry. But yeah. he he put up some numbers. Uh, he had a couple of good years. Uh, he was he played yeah. with the, he played with the Flames. Uh, he had a couple of years with uh, Vancouver. He had forty eight, forty six points. He was you know he was decent. But that that was an era where you know a short player like that, like believe me, I mean you were taking your life in your hands every night you went on the ice playing hockey. Yeah, back it, then. Was, it seemed it was much. I think it was much more rare. I think a guy like Flurry stood out, especially to a kid like me, because it seemed so rare to have a five-six guy who one was producing points, but two was also out there with an attitude and a chip on his shoulder and not backing down. Same era, right? It was, so, him, it was him and Denny Savard. Was, they were the same guy. Yeah, yeah. Savard was out there doing his spinoramas, and yeah, I mean, I was just—I don't know, like it. it it's fun to watch the NHL now, and there's a lot of talent. And, you know, a guy like Connor McDavid is obviously phenomenal. A guy like Dreisaitl, you know, certainly Sidney Crosby. But the way that, I don't know, just the way that the game was played, um, certainly a little more hair on, you know, hair on fire. And obviously the goaltending, I think, had a lot to do with it, where, you know, you had these guys that were just stand up goaltenders and kind of, you know, coming out 30 feet of, you know, on top of their crease and expecting to cut down the angle and the puck's just going to hit them, um, where a lot of goals were scored and things like that. And eventually the goaltending caught up with it. But it was just fun to watch. You yeah. Know? You know what? Like, I I just had this discussion. I believe it was with our buddy Cam Stewart. I don't – I think it was just a phone call. I don't even think it was an on-the-air thing. And – and I uh, let me get your take on this. Okay, you know Ryan Reeves just had his little soiree last night, and the water spot, uh, smart commercials—that's cool. England does his car commercials. Flurry, this you know unbelievably, you know glowing, outgoing personality, cool guy. You know, okay, we get it. COVID, the Zoom world we're living in. But even like when we talk around here, I mean, we're not throwing stones here. It's this is like a league wide thing now with the the lack of access to guys. Even forget the pandemic. And back then, these guys had flowing locks. You know, they weren't playing with helmets. I does the league do a good enough job? I mean, the one thing I think the league really misses there are no personalities in the game. You know what I mean? It's like even the referees now are helmets and numbers. You used to know Kerry Frazier or Bruce Hood. 
and you hated the ref, but you knew who he was. You saw him. You knew him. You couldn't pick a referee now, uh, you know, out of a lineup of two. I'm, does this league do a good enough job? They don't. There are none. I mean, where are the personalities? I mean, some of these, these guys, some of them are hysterical. The stuff they say on the ice to each other, they're, they're stand-up comedians. Where, why, why does not the league find a way to promote the personalities of this game? Yeah. So maybe I'm wrong on this, and and I don't I don't I don't want to come off like a Gary Bettman apologist or anything like that, because that's certainly not what I am. But in some ways, I feel like the league has done what it can based on what it has to work with. And and what I mean by that is, yeah, I mean some of these guys talk on the ice and whatever. But when push comes to shove, when you put a camera in front of their face and whatever. They're almost all, you know, hesitant to say anything interesting. And they all clam up. And, you know, just because you mentioned somebody like Ryan Reed. But, I mean, but isn't that I, the point, David, that, that you know, it's the, the, the organization, uh, most organizations, certainly the one here, uh, that, you know, they put the Sasquatch foot on them. Don't say anything. And you know yeah, the, the players it, it, are given coach speak, and and you know it's like, come on, man, these guys are entertaining guys. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is a little bit of that. I I think, and and maybe where I was kind of going with it is just, it's it's the broader hockey culture that doesn't seem to allow it. That that these kids yeah. almost from, you know, juniors and even earlier than that are, are taught. Uh, you know, to, to take the individuality out of it. You know what? I'll give you an example of something, just because I thought it was interesting, and I happened to see it on Twitter the other day where um, Mike McKenna, the former yeah. Knights broadcaster, uh, had put something out on, on his account about, um, you know, advice for kids who are um, attending tryouts. And his advice was, one, have fun, two, stay on side. Okay, you know, fun. Well, and somebody had to chime in and basically say, you know, three something. And it was, it was their comment was something along the lines of three and don't tuck in your jersey. And, you know, Mike McKenna replied basically like, who cares? Like, you can play hockey with your jersey tucked in. You can't play hockey offside. You know, but but to me it was more, and, and I bring it up because the broader point of this is, like, there seems to be this culture of hockey, like, right away, early on of, you know, you're part of a team and you're not an individual and you can't express yourself and all that. And I, I think where the change needs to sort of happen is, is, you know, within the hockey community itself and not so much just on, you know, the league, the NHL and, and that one entity. It's a good it's a good discussion, I think. I mean I, I Yeah. Man, I'm I'm just telling you well the first year here, these guys were all gregarious, right? I mean it, that was a fun room. Okay, it's a pandemic and that ship has sailed, and with the now the NFL is another Zoom world. Hockey's going to be a Zoom world again. I don't think there's any way around it. Um, okay, I get it. I'm just saying in, in a much broader way. 
I guess the teams have their own things with their social media where maybe some of these guys they get to go out there and do some fun things with. I, I just think the players in a former life were just so much more colorful and entertaining. I mean, the, I ga- the, the game is great. The, ga- the game is spectacular. I'm not... You know, I'm not being the old guy, get off my lawn. I think it would be better. And and you know what? I think you know what suffered too, Dave? They still are. By a million miles, hockey players are the most approachable, down-to-earth, regular guys. But I think the Sasquatch foot, don't ever say anything you know, yeah. afraid to say anything mentality. I, I think they've sucked the lungs right out of these guys. And I think some of them now, it's not 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 the vast majority of them, but they're like, eh, you know, they're they're indifferent to it now when they used to be the most the do anything for you kind of guys. And I'm not saying they're bad guys, but back at, I don't know, again, I'm, I'm maybe preaching to the converted here. Back in the day, these guys were just, they just loved every second of what they were doing. You know, and I don't know if that's just a function of there's so many zeros on the back end of contracts and teams and representatives and agents and all this other stuff. Maybe maybe I'm just being an old guy. Well, no, I was going to ask you, and, and I, because I, I think, you know, in the context of this conversation, it's fair to bring up you know, sort of the idea that, you know, it's always been or or continues to be sort of the fourth, you know, sport on the on the American totem pole or like the North American still you know, sports totem pole, yeah. right? But I, but I think you know back then maybe, and I'll, I'll ask you this: like, was there more of a sense of in the seventies and and eighties of? Of you know, we need to try to promote this. We need to try to, you know, do what we can, you know, to kind of put it out there. Where now it feels like, I, I hate to sound, you know, like to use your term, like the old guy, but there almost feels like there's a bit of entitlement with it. Where where these kids come up and they don't know it any different than, you know, you you sign for eight point eight on your your second contract and you have eight years for sixty four million and. You know, oh, no. just, you know, like they don't know it any other way. And so I think maybe for them, there's there's a little bit more of, I, I, you know, entitlement. I hate to use that. I sound so cliche. No. And, you know, by the way, those guys back then, they were getting taken advantage of. They're still making significantly less than other sports, massively less. But they're making, right. they're making still make, now they're making big cake. You know, I mean, you sit there and go, my God, the monopoly money in baseball and the NBA, you know. But this was also part of our discussion with Pat Micheletti yesterday. I would throw this at you. I remember doing this, you know, years ago. We we would have this discussion when right around the late 90s, 2000. And you, you see it. You see it still on display to this day. Guys get paid, A, their attitude's different, B, their intensity in their play sometimes is different until the contract year, which I swear to you was the brilliance, I've said this before, the brilliance of what McPhee and McCrimmon did in the expansion draft 
where those guys were UFAs and RFAs. Forget the chip on their shoulder. They were all playing for money. And I would love to get the answer. Was that part of the plan? Because it was brilliant. They were mercenaries. They were all playing for money. And they all got paid eventually. You know? But I wonder I wonder if the guarantee it's a salary cap era, the guaranteed thing to me. I always thought, man, you talk about the game would be better if contracts were incentive based. Like real, it ain't all eight years, and you're getting all that money. I mean, you know, this stuff is incentive laced with bonuses. I mean, it'd be an interesting concept. I think he, I, I I would be curious just because, you know, some I'm not real good with economics and and numbers and finance and things like that. I, I would be interested to hear from an agent, um, just sort of sort of some of the counterpoints. You know, to that. So one of the things that I that I've heard and, and I know like Alan Walsh is a you know, very outspoken about this and whatever is, you know, comparing the NHL to other leagues, other sports, and the one thing that he really despises is that hard cap because it puts a restriction. I mean, as much as these guys are getting, you know, a lot of zeros at the end of their paychecks, there's also a limit because each team can only spend so much money. Whereas, like you said, it's like circus money with baseball or whatever because, you know, I would, you know, Dodgers just go over a luxury tax. Big deal. You know, they'll pay anybody anything. Um, so it's a little bit different, like, in that way. I've always wondered sort of, you know, how much that, you know, has an effect. Like, if it became a soft cap, you know, in the NHL, how would that change things? Um, yeah, to your point, like, I mean, it, it, I think – I don't know. Maybe it sort of feels like, from what I've heard about, like the you know the olden days of baseball, it was kind of almost seemed incentive based contracts. You know, you you know one year deal or something like that every every year, and you know it was basically like if you stunk, you know there was somebody waiting right there in the minor leagues or or whatever to replace you because you know there were so few teams and, and so few jobs available. Yeah. You know now you NHL what you got thirty two teams, so you know. Everybody feels maybe a little more secure. The talent pulls a little thinned out. Like I, you know, I don't know. There's so many factors in it. I, I, but I do wonder. Like I don't think I don't think you could make it entirely, you know, an incentive based. No, and and and, and, I, and believe me, and I'm I, I'm for the concept. I'm for the players. Get every you know, get everything you can. I mean, you're such a short career. But I'm also, you know, I, I'm also willing to take the owner side of things too. That you you know, it, just because you have money doesn't mean you should take a big lighter to it. You know. Well, let's take let's take let's take James Neal as an example in all of this. You know, okay. I mean, in, in, talking about an incentive-based contract or whatever. Like, well, James Neal got his money. Like, he got paid by Calgary, right? Yeah. How'd that work out? Well, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, but for him, I mean, good for him. Like, yeah, it worked out for him. Right, but I mean, if that was an incentive-based thing. You does know, he does he know. play does he play better? <laughs> or or does it cost him a whole bunch of money? You know? I mean, that's the other side of this too, is well he got paid. I know he was injured and I don't want to you know, totally imply that he's like, you know, complacent or comfortable, but I think certainly that first year in Calgary, like, just for whatever reason, 
it didn't click. Like, what if it, I mean, incentive-based at that point for somebody like him? Well, I, the, you know, I don't know. I think, I think one of the, probably one of the biggest reasons they got rid of it, because there was some, there was some nonsense went on with that stuff. Like, say a guy, you know, back in the 70s was making 70000 bucks or something. You know, something like that. Maybe that's even high. But if the guy had a $15,000 bonus for 20 goals, there were teams in the last week of the season. The, the, guy, the guy either was a healthy scratch or or his ice time went down by like seven minutes a game, and like you know, it's like the team was trying to keep him from getting the bonus. Well, okay, so maybe again, okay, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think you, you you've actually probably brought up a good point because I think what it actually sort of was back in the day was the All Star game seemed to matter, and making the playoffs and getting deep in the playoffs. All that mattered because your playoff bonus, you know, comparative to what your annual salary was, was a much higher percentage than it is now. Now these guys, you know, they have no incentive to, you know, all-star game or like any of that stuff. Like, eh, who cares? I'm making eight million or six million, you know. I gotta... Back then it seemed like, yeah, you hit a bonus, you hit any of that incentive stuff. And it was a big deal for those guys because they weren't making as much salary wise. The the All Star game, Matt, they played it like a game. I mean, like the games were like three two. I mean, they were games. You know, it wasn't the yeah pond, pond hockey nonsense. Though an All Star game story, the game was at the Odd in Buffalo, and Perot scored. Jules Perot, I believe, scored. It might have been one nothing. It was a low scoring game. Perot scored the game winning goal at home, flying all over the ice. Whatever. And it may have been a shutout, but, you know, numerous goalies played. But the the winner of the MVP got a car, right? And, like, that was big money back then. I mean, the car was, like, probably a a quarter of the guy's salary. Anyway, so, you know, you're at home, blah, blah, blah. Like, everybody's – Perot's going to win the MVP. Billy Smith wins the MVP. So – the, ne- the next time the Islanders are playing in Buffalo, back then it was nothing but the organ and the fans chanting stuff. And there was a guy, his name was Richie Ryan. He was a Genesee beer salesman. He was the loud, loud, boisterous guy. He would start all the chants. And the minute he'd start saying stuff, the whole building would you know do the chant he started. But he'd also yell stuff out once in a while. And, and the acoustics in the building were great. So the next time the Islanders played, and it's the first stoppage in play, and Richie Ryan stands up and yells out, and the whole arena hears him, Hey, Billy, how's Perot's car? <laughs> you know, back, I mean, back then, the fan, the, you know, the, like now you go to T-Mobile and all the cool things that go with it, you can't hear yourself thinking there, let alone talk to the yeah. guy next to you. So I hear there's a there's a woman who has emailed me uh, for the last handful of years, and actually that reminds me, uh, I owe her a response to something. But she so so her backstory is that she grew up on Long Island and was an Islanders fan during the dynasty, and so I hear all these stories and I read all these stories on email from her about what it was like, you know, the Islanders and sort of the community relationship that they had, how you sort of see them, you know, at the restaurant. 
down the road or just you'd bump into them store, you know, say hi, you know, whatever. And, you know, on they go, you maybe they, you know, run into the kids out on the street and, and play street hockey for them, you know, with the second, you know, for a second or whatever. It just sounded so different the way that they were ingrained in into a community and the way that, you know, the fans sort of interacted with them. You know, the arenas back then were much more, you know, intimate, tighter, smaller buildings. Now you've got these big, you know, 18. You know, the funny thing is T-Mobile actually, like, on the smaller size, as much as their attendance is in the top five, you know, percentage-wise and things like that, like, 17.5 for a hockey arena is really not that big. You know, like it's actually even on the intimate side. And for, and for, and, and for, and and for, but man, but for a new building, I will say this. A lot of the buildings in the league, the seats angle, really angle out. I think T-Mobile, especially the upper decks, pretty steep coming down. Yeah. And I, I think the sight lines and the building, as loud as that joint is, the fans are very much on top of the ice, more than many. Well, you travel around now, you know. They're very, they're more on top of the ice than many of the newer buildings. But the point is, it's you know, it's the banging bass off the off the scoreboard, and the, you know that that guy. I mean, the, there's never there's never a breath of uh, never a breath of silence in there for the fans to do anything, you know, other than being prompted to do stuff. I'm yeah, old. I'm I old mean, school. It's it's definitely. A different arena in that regard, in the, in terms of the constant action, something always has to be going on, whether it's you know on the scoreboard or on the ice, or it drives me nuts. But even the fans, like if if there's ten seconds of a lull, somebody has to do that goofy Ric Flair woo thing or what you know, and then you hear five people start doing it back and whatever, and then. All of a sudden, everybody's engaged again. You know, it's it's bizarre, but it, I think Knights fans have come to expect that. And and yeah, to be really honest, like like you said, you you travel around, you see games in other other arenas. You, it's interesting how much some of the other organizations have picked up from the Knights and tried to emulate certain things uh, in terms of filling that time. But there there is no arena that compares to, you know just the entertainment that is constantly going on the way it is at T-Mobile. Oh, no, no. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's all about the frame of reference you have. Like, you know, again, all these different years and many things, the, the way you've seen it, it's unbelievable. I mean, it it is, you know, it's it's, it's constant, right? I mean, they're, they're there's there's no downtime even during the intermissions. Even the the intermissions are noisy. Which is fine. Nope, oh, Dave Shane. Dave Shane, we lost David. We'll see. We'll see if you call back. I'm send him the number. Oh, by the way, speaking of money, the money getting thrown around is pretty significant. Couturier gets eight years, 62 million bucks. That's 
pretty nuts. I mean, he's a good player. Svechnikov gets basically get the same thing. Svechnikov with the Hurricanes. I mean, this kid's a stud. And they lock him up. Seven seven five is the AAV through the 2029 season. Mr. David Shane's kind enough to have called back. Hello, David. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Um, what I miss? Anything good? Uh, I was singing show tunes. No, I was, oh, well, it, no, so definitely not. No, you didn't miss anything. Katuria and Svechnikov signed eight-year deals. Yeah. It's mini-monopoly. The, the, the Svechnikov one doesn't really surprise me, but the Couturier one does. Yeah, that's too much. Eight, Fletcher, eight I'm telling you, Chuck, I mean, Chuck Fletcher. Lock him up through 2030. Uh, come on, Crazy. man. Chuck Fletcher, I don't get it. I mean, that is the old boy network at his best. I, you know, I'm as a Sabres fan, I was heartbroken when he went left Minnesota because it's like have him on speed dial. They fleeced him in every trade. Well, he goes he goes to Philly, and the Sabers get a the fourteenth pick of the draft for Ristolainen. They 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 got more for Ristolainen than they got for Sam Reinhardt. It's yeah. Chuck Fletcher. I don't know how this guy keeps doing this. Well, and if we're really going to start picking on Chuck Fletcher, obviously Knights fans are uh, familiar with his work around the expansion draft in Minnesota and the effect that that had on a couple franchises. Yeah, thank you. No, I'm, I'm telling you. It's crazy. Yeah, well, hey, you know. hey, by the way, tomorrow, uh, tell the folks, we're going to be down. Steve Carp's going to be with us on the show tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to be over at the Superbook at the Westgate. It's Super Contest Weekend, and there's still, a, I believe, only a couple spots, and it's very, it's very close to filling up. Call over to the Superbook to Rosemary Rocco if you want to play in the golf tournament. It's 90 bucks to play at the Las Vegas Country Club, get a gift, a gift bag, dinner afterwards, closest to the pin, long drive stuff. One of the closest to the pins is an entry into the Super Contest, and you get raffle tickets, and they're giving away 10 entries to the Super Contest. It's such a great time. It's the uh, golf tournament. It's on Saturday. Tomorrow we're doing the shows. Uh, come on now. We'll be over at the Superbook. Kenny White's giving away his college and pro football magazines. I'll have some Mark Lawrence playbook magazines. Stop down. Be good to see anybody. And we're doing the uh, hockey show, too. Steve Carp's coming down. So come on down. It's going to be fun. We're going to see a lot of people we haven't seen for quite a while. And you never know, you know, in the golf tournament, there are sandbaggers that come in and try to scoop the pot, and I think Dave Shane might have put a team of ringers together. Is going <laughs> to pos- Yeah, I was going to say to anybody that anybody that wants to come down and you know meet a couple like pseudo celebrities, yeah, like I'll I'll shake a couple hands, but Susu Studio. <laughs> yeah, I, I can guarantee that the quartet uh, that I put together will not be competing for uh, for first prize at the. Uh, at the- and on the leaderboard, yeah, we're we're just out to have a couple drinks and knock some balls around and see what happens. Yeah, no, the the the, pre- the main prerequisite here is the beer is cold because I think it's going to be like one hundred seven, one hundred eight. It's going to be a tad, yeah, on, tad saw, on the toasty side. I was going to say I saw like one hundred six on my phone, so I might 
I might have to wear the white shirt that I got from uh, for playing in that tournament a couple of years ago, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> no, that'd be good fun. I'm glad you're coming down. No, that it's Jay puts on a great show. It's going to be a wonderful weekend. So any again, anybody, we'll be down doing the shows tomorrow uh, over at the Superbook. But it is kind of Dave. I mean, like uh, like for you, you've done the California pop a little bit, kick your feet up a little bit, and believe me, no violin. This is what we signed up to do. You know, I do. A, we're doing a hockey show. You know, don't take any time off. It's August. It's 108. Great. Let's go. It's hockey. I mean, but it's it's cool to put your feet up a little bit because the gauntlet's about to begin. And, and you know, we've had these shortened seasons. This is the real McCoy. This is going to be I – mean, wonder how long this is going to seem when we get into game 60 and 65. Yeah, I was going to say I'm trying to, trying to build up a reserve here, you know, after a couple – seasons I got short and then you know obviously like last one was short so I mean you know everybody seems to August is usually kind of the quieter month I mean what we saw Robin Leonard like pictures of him riding around on a camel or something um (laughs) you know so like yeah I mean everybody's out playing golf and you know doing the vacation stuff right now around the NHL and I mean a couple contracts get done here and there you know maybe a trade will leak through but yeah you know for the most part it's pretty quiet all that so you know uh, we've been doing a few stories you know over at the rj you know ben ben goats has been uh filling the pages a few interesting things and i was over talking to ryan reese last night uh put a story together about that uh, that folks can read, and even Rangers fans, I think, will how, how, will be interested in that. How, how was that little gathering? And, and what, if you have, if you haven't posted it yet, and what was his uh, what were his thoughts? Yeah, um, it was a fun little. I, I got I got there about halfway through. Most of the uh, autograph signing had, was pretty much done, I think, at that point. But uh, from what I heard, you know, it was a it was a really good crowd of people that that were there. I don't think that's a surprise. I mean. You know, obviously, everybody knows he was a fan favorite, and a, you know, a popular guy in the community, and obviously on and off the ice. You know, as a, as a you know public figure, you know, a, a guy who you know certainly I think changed everybody's watering clocks in this town and all that sort of stuff. He, he certainly had an impact. So, yeah, I think I think fans wanted to say you know farewell to him. I think he wanted to say goodbye to. You know, fans who you know made his time here special as well. And Actually, that's pretty, that is pretty cool to be honest with you. Like, you. like some guys walk out with a stone in their shoe or whatever, but I, I don't think there's any doubt. Well, it's reasonable to assume when his playing days are over, I, I could see Ryan Reeves living here. You know, and, yeah, and I think he's he's pretty much said that. I think he really feels like you know this was the place that that he found home. You know, I don't think you're ever going to take Winnipeg out of him and and that sort of thing. But but he's you know he was building a house and I, you know obviously we have a story it was like being sold on the market or whatever. But but yeah, I could absolutely see him coming back. The brewery or the brew company, brewing company, excuse me, is still here. Um, he's certainly got some other projects and all that. But you know he was extended by the Rangers too. That was something that that he mentioned that you know was important to him and takes him all the way through 36 and you know as he said knock on wood as he uh you know kind of took his fist to his head um you know that that he stayed healthy and his body's held up despite you know the style of play that that he you know has has endured 
Um, so, you but, know, but if you think of it, honestly, and he wants, you know, we'll see where he's at at that point. But. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, give him, give him credit as a fourth line guy who's kind of a throwback in an era where, you know, fighting's not that much of a thing anymore. Again, being the old guy, there were 20 Ryan Reeves around the league at any given night. I mean, it was nuts. I mean, Tough way to make a living, man. These guys would be out there doing that stuff, fighting 30, 30 35 times a year. But he's a colorful guy, um, smart, thinking about ho- life after hockey. He's got the business thing. And think about it. When the Rangers play the Caps, I mean, Twitter's already a buzz about it. But that's going to be like, a, think about it, he's a fourth-line guy. And that's going to be a story. People are going to say, oh, tonight's the night. The Rangers and the Caps. And they got Ryan Reeves because of what Wilson did to uh, Bushnevich and he ragdolled Panarin. I mean. Well, I, oh, sorry, not to cut you off. No, but go I ahead. Can tell you that, that, I mean, I can tell you that that was, that was a good portion of our conversation in, in the interview was about that subject and, you know, his impact, just what he thought about that and, and his role there and. You know, sort of, you know, being this uh, the Tom Wilson solution, which he had, a, you know, that quote attributed to him, which uh, I'll spoil this a little bit, but he actually said, like, he never said that. Um, he never, you know, apparently, like, that's the whole legend is he told the team, you know, like, I'm the solution to your Tom Wilson problem. Um, apparently, Ryan Reeves never said that, but, you know, he he's going to go to New York and and be the solution to their Tom Wilson problem because he you know even he is aware of what happened last year how it, how it happened the way that the Rangers weren't equipped really to deal with it and and the changes that they've made you know not just him but you know Sammy Blake coming in for Buchnevich he's obviously a power forward guy uh, Barkley Goodrow another kind of power forward guy. Uh, Jared Tenorti, a big, you know, kind of hard rock defenseman type. So it's not just Ryan Reeves, um, you know, that, that they brought in the tough and the Rangers up, but I think, you know, sort of a makeover in general and, and even Jared Gallant, you know, kind of comes into that and, and, you know, certainly being reunited with, with Jared Gallant, you know, Ryan Reeves acknowledged probably his two best years were, were under him as a coach. So, you know, that familiarity with the system and, and knowing a coach believes in you. Uh, it's probably going to go a long way for him in New York as well. What do you envision in the last couple of minutes David Shane from the RJ is kind enough to join us today? Oh, that flew by. Holy cow. And isn't it nuts? I mean, hockey's so awesome. The I think there's almost like a it's a mini deadline. You know, camp's getting close. And there are still some teams that are Treading water, waiting on certain things to happen. Pretty soon there'll be the, the PTOs and things like that. But think of the next like ten days, two weeks. They're, they're, things are going to perk up a little bit. Well, let me ask you. It feels like the, the big domino that has to fall for a lot of other things to fall. It is Eichel, and is Buffalo going to, you know? I guess restart talks with teams on that, or is that just going to kind of die off until later? Uh, I, because I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of teams, you know, that are sort of waiting to see what happens with that and where he goes, and then 
what is the yeah. you know here's the guess fact of that I've I've evolved I guess is that the way to say it? here's my guess I think Adams draws a line in the sand he is not he he better uh, he doesn't cave you can't give this guy away for pennies on the dollar and then he goes off somewhere else and goes nuts for a decade. So I think he hangs on to him and does not cave. He draws the line in the sand. And if you want him, you're paying for him. And you give him the surgery he wants, you know, the team that acquires him. Because you don't, why would you bring him in and have him pouting? Anybody gets him, bringing him in, he's doing the disc, the disc surgery. Uh, the reality is, unless somebody steps up and pays for that, then what do they got to lose? He, he's not playing. You don't want him around the team, supposedly. So if the season starts and somebody doesn't pay for him, then you let him get the damn surgery. And you hope he comes back and he's healthy. But on the front end, you let somebody else take all the risk. And if if you don't get what he's worth, then you let him, after the season starts or after it's too late, you let him do the surgery you hope it works. He plays good, and then you ask for more. So I, <laughs> yeah. that, that's what I think they should do. It's because I mean, the, he's going to pout if he just has the normal fusion surgery. And the one thing about the experimental thing is, at least, I don't think the experimental thing sets him back. It just didn't work that the failsafe is to do the fusion surgery, which is the tried and true one. At some point, he's getting this disc replacement thing. It's just a question of who's letting him do it. Right. I, I kind of feel like that's the direction that it's headed. But, yeah, it, it sort of feels like that's clogging up a lot of the the pipes, you know, for, for other trades to happen. Maybe Vegas, know? Calgary, Anaheim, God knows who. I, I don't think Garen's done. I think I'm, I could see Garen signs one year with Fiala. I don't know. That's like my antennas are up on that. That could be a Fiala sign and trade. Send him somewhere else. I don't know. Could be he's, wrong. He's quickly becoming my new favorite GM. I, lo- I love his. Uh, I I can't say the word I want to say, but let's just say like uh, cojones or uh, guts yeah. or whatever. I message point taken. <laughs> you can say that on your podcast, can't you? There you go. Yeah. So check it out. Reviewjournal.com, the Golden Edge podcast. Uh, all the uh, all the podcasts are located. Uh, we we did not do one this week, so still the uh, the hour long one though should tide everybody over from uh, from last time. Buddy, I really appreciate you doing this. It was good to see you Friday. Uh, enjoy the last little uh, bit of your break before the fun starts. I'll see you Saturday over at the Country Club. Listen, look at us, yeah, no Lottie Da. I'll see you at the Country Club, David. Uh, you know, in my pitching days, I, I was better coming out of the bullpen. So, you know, I, I always like this. No, well done, man. I really appreciate it. Good stuff as always. Dave Shane from the RJ. Check out the podcast. I appreciate Have it, pal. Have fun tomorrow with Steve. Oh, yeah, man. It'll be good fun. Steve Carp will be with us tomorrow. Thanks, Dave, for doing this. You got it. All right, tomorrow we're over at the Superbook. We'll be over there for uh, two hours of Vegas Sportsbook Radio. 
and for Vegas Hockey Island. Andy Isco, Kenny White's going to be there. We're giving football magazines away. Steve Carp will be with us on Vegas Hockey Island. Looking forward to see Jake Cornegay, everybody over there. TC Ballpark coming up next. Sincere thanks to our pal Dave Shane. He is one of our favorite guests. Always steps up to the plate and hits it out of the park.